Okay, so let's, uh, well, before we start, let me just pray and welcome you and everybody to the Word. And uh, Lord, we just do thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you for the beautiful music that we sang that reminded us of our relationship with you, that you are all around us, before us, behind us. Um, above us, every eye who sees us sees you because you are present in us. So we give you thanks for that. And Lord, now we turn to the scriptures and ask that you um, open our hearts and our minds to understand what you have for us this morning. Thank you for Paul, who wrote Galatians and wrote it out of his experiences with you. This is not theory. This is life recorded in the pages of the Bible. So thank you for that, Lord. Help us to understand now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, Galatians 3, 10 to 14. I'm just going to read it aloud here. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. I call this bad news, worse news. <laughs> there is a law, and none of us can keep it. Um, so in verse 11, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So even this morning, uh, before I got up here to talk, I, I got some opinions from people on what they think of the law. <laughs> it's not popular. It's hard to understand. It's very extensive. Very few people read it all the way through. We're talking about the laws written in the Bible, <clears throat> handed down to Moses. So laws can feel peculiar. I, uh, this week I came across some laws in, in, uh, the, in the United Kingdom <clears throat> that people break without realizing it. <clears throat> in Nottingham, if you go to the graveside service for your loved one, and then you just want to stay for a while, you're probably going to be charged money for staying extra time, especially if you're holding up the grave diggers. And so people would go and say goodbye to their loved one, and the crowd would leave, and they would still be there, and then they'd get a bill later for 160 pounds for, <laughs> for delaying at the gravesite. Not a good law. People don't like that one. Um, in the UK also, you can, be, um, you can be cited for handling salmon under suspicious circumstances. <laughs> so you have to be careful where you buy your salmon because it may have been caught illegally. Um, it's illegal to bring Polish potatoes into England unless you, two days in advance, let them know you're bringing them in, wh what time and where they're entering the country, where they came from and where they're going. Finally, I think this is the best one. In the, Car the city of Carlisle, the city council had a, a bunch of employees working for them, and they made a law that if you wanted to talk about babies, the weather, or your holidays, you had to clock out. They didn't want to pay you for time you spent chit-chatting about those topics. And I've been to England, and I know that it's almost impossible to have a conversation or hang out with a British person who does not talk about the weather, 
or their holidays, or if there are babies in their life, you're going to hear about them. That law was rescinded pretty quickly. People revolted. So, you know, we have mixed, mixed feelings about the law. As I was saying to Troy earlier, everybody wants the law to work in their favor. Everybody wants there to be laws that work for them and that protect them. So the definition of a law, and this is from online, I can't cite a particular law book that this comes from, but it sounded good to me. This is, the law is a system of rules which a particular country or community recognizes as regulating the actions of its members and which it may enforce by the imposition of penalties. That kind of sound, sounds right. We make laws so we can have order in our society, and if people break the laws, we're going to have penalties for them. So. Not everybody agrees with every law that's written. There are a lot of people who wish there were certain laws that had not been written. For instance, uh, speed limit laws. There, is, there are parts of the nation where people don't want to observe the speed limit at all. You can drive and there's no speed limit sign. But if you're a rules keeper like me, it feels good to have laws and rules. I'm married to a man who is um, a moderate rules keeper. He, he, he regularly believes that common sense can supplant a rule, and uh, this became apparent, and I'm going to tell a story on you. We went on a four-day silent retreat at a monastery. Rule one, don't talk outside your room, because this is a silent order of monks. Rule two was don't take pictures at the hermitage, because there were monks who lived as hermits, and they didn't want anybody bothering them. So we would walk outside of our room, and I would be shh, shh, shh everywhere we went, because he was ready to talk about this and that and things that he saw and you know observations. And then he wanted me to go for a walk with him one day, and he agreed to be silent. We were walking silently through the monastery, and I, find, I suddenly find myself in front of the hermitage where he's taking pictures. <laughs> so we found out who's a rules keeper and who's not, and he got away with it, by the way. No monks were offended. So uh, most people agree that there are, the laws are needed, and they're needed for two reasons. One is, so we know what right behavior is in circumstances. We don't want people just willy-nilly doing whatever they feel like in our cities. And, um, and then also, we have laws so that if people break the law, we can hold them accountable. So we don't just have people breaking the law and then pretending that it doesn't matter. Um, but one thing I've observed is that both law keepers and law breakers want there to be laws in their favor. So uh, if somebody wrongs you, you're glad that you can go to court, you can have the law enforced in your behalf. But if you go to court as the offender and you lose, then you're ready to go to appeals and you hope that the laws of the appeals court will work in your favor, mitigate your sentence or get you off or whatever. So people agree that laws are important. So I think we can all agree that there have to be some laws. And God thought so because he gave laws. He gave laws for the same reason that we have laws in our society. In fact, a lot of our, mo our laws are modeled on what he gave in the Old Testament. People looked at that and said, that's a good idea, we should do that. So God gave laws to, through Moses so that people would know the difference between righteousness and sin. In Romans 7.7, 7, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he was trained in the law. So this is his opinion of the law. He had a mixed feeling about it as much as we do sometimes. He said, indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known 
would not have known what coveting was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Paul recognized that we didn't know what sin was till God told us. And those laws, you could start with the Ten Commandments. I think everybody would agree the Ten Commandments are a good idea. And we would not have known necessarily that murder was bad if somebody hadn't said murder was bad. Some people might have thought, well, there's justification for that sometimes. Or we might not have understood that adultery is bad. And people might have thought, well, I'm unhappy. I'm going to be happier with this person. But the law stands there and says, no, that's wrong. In God's mind, that's wrong. And then uh, God gave us the law so we could understand the consequences of sin. In Romans 7, once again, Paul is talking about the law, and he says, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So Paul found out not only was he doing the wrong thing, but he found out there was a penalty for that that every law, broken law has a penalty that accompanies it. And when we break a law, when we break God's law, we're identified as sinners. And sinners live under a death penalty because that was the penalty for sin. When we break those laws, so first of all, the law tells us the bad news that we're lawbreakers and sinners, and then it tells us the, bad, the worst news that we're under a penalty of death for that. So... Most of us would like to find a way to evade this whole topic. Is there any way to evade what the Bible says? Is there any way to evade the, the laws that God put down? The Bible would say, no, there isn't. The same Bible that gave us the law describes the law. And uh, in Ecclesiastes 3, 14 and 15 and verse 17, Solomon, who's writing at this time, identified as the wisest man who ever lived, says, I know that whatever God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so people will revere him. And God will call the past into account. God will bring judgment, bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. In Hebrews 9.27, just as a person is destined to die once after that, they face the judgment. And in Matthew 12.36, this is, this is Jesus talking, and he says, I tell you, people will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. So the Bible's very clear that God has standards of righteousness that, he, that don't go away. And he does call into account our past. And he does remember every word we've said. So even though people believe that they are the, the exception, and you'll hear this a lot if you talk with people about their relationship with the Bible, they'll say, well, I don't think it applies to me. You know, I, I don't think that, you know, the, the big guy, I used to hear this a lot when I was a child, the big guy upstairs and I have an agreement. We understand each other. I am the one exception to these laws that are immutable that God has written. But Jesus didn't agree with that, and neither did Moses. When Moses had given the law entirely to the people, he had one more word for them in Deuteronomy, uh, which was at the, right at the end of his life. He said, see, I set before you today 
life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him and keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and, in, live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But... If your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Moses was saying, now that you know, you are responsible. You are accountable to these laws. And I'm telling you, there's life in obedience and there's death in disobedience. And uh, Jesus went on to say in John 12... As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. When it comes to whether we stand in judgment or fall, it's not going to be up to Jesus. It's going to be up to us. It's going to be up to how we responded to what he said. So uh, the Bible says not only are these words always going to stand, but there's no way around them. There's no exception. And once you know, you're responsible. Psalm 119, verses 89 to 91 say, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faith." Faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. So not only is kind of bad news that the law is not going to go away and that we're all responsible and we're all going to be accountable to it, but here's worse news. It's impossible to keep the law. I think we would all agree to that. You know, those poor people in England who lingered too long at the graveside didn't even know about that rule. <laughs> there are many laws, and, uh, and we are bound to break them. Um, so people, once again, want to be excused from that. They may say, you know, I'm, I'm actually a good person. I think if you look at my life, I'm a good person. Well, we used to have, uh, when I, I would go to youth meetings, we used to have this thing where we would say, if you think you're a good person, here's, I would like you to sign up today, and we're going to have a film crew follow you all this next week, and just you know, film everything you do, and then we're all going to meet back here in the theater next week, and we're going to look at your life. You know, nobody wanted that. <laughs> nobody wanted that. And, uh, and the truth is, you know, I used to laugh at that, like, nobody will ever follow me with a film crew. But I'm so aware walking around this city that I'm on film all the time. <laughs> we are constantly under surveillance everywhere we go. And in fact, um, just, excuse me, just this last week, uh, Bern and I saw some interesting programs where China is developing a system of social credit where uh, they, have rec they can do facial recognition, they can do body recognition, where they, know, they can tell by the way you walk who you are. And uh, they're putting everybody under surveillance constantly everywhere they go, and they're assigning points to people, social credit points. And so, for instance, if you come to a, a corner in San Francisco and you want to get across the street quickly, if you jaywalk, you lose points. But if you help a disabled person across, you gain points. And you never know what your credit score is for sure until you need to use it. So there are now uh, people who can't travel anymore. They try to get a plane ticket. It's denied because their social credit is, score is too low. 
And so, you know, when we hear something like that, we think, well, okay, I'll find a way to evade this. I will wear a mask. And if you have followed the news in Hong Kong a couple of days ago, they outlawed masks in Hong Kong, and people are wearing masks everywhere because they don't want to be recognized. They don't want to fall afoul of the Chinese government that's surveilling them. So most of us don't want to spend all of our time worrying about this. I mean, it could be obsessive, right? Just trying to figure out how do I always, always, always do the wrong thing, and I know I'm going to do the, the I mean, do the right thing, and I know I'm going to do the wrong thing, and how do I correct that and make up for that? And uh, so, the good news. Finally, we can get to the good news. Uh, Jesus rescues us, lawbreakers. Because Jesus was the most obedient man who ever lived. Jesus came and kept the law entirely. And he completely agreed with God that every word of the law was important. Every word of the law, we were accountable for all of it. And he made himself accountable to it. And, uh, and then when the time came for him to pay the penalty for our sin, he even agreed with that. He agreed a penalty has to be paid for all these sinners, for all these lawbreakers. Can you imagine at that point he'd had about 33 years on this earth seeing every kind of sin and you know, human degradation that could be seen, and he was complete agreement that the penalty had to be paid. All these people had to be held accountable, and he also knew that they were all going to fail at the judgment seat. And so uh, in our, our, chat, our, verse to, our verses today, Galatians 3.13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. So Jesus agreed that the law was good, that lawbreakers should be punished, that no one could stand in that uh, case and that somebody had to pay for, the, for themselves. And so um, he did it. He laid down his life for us. Galatians 3.12 says, How different from this way of faith is the way of the law, which says, If you wish to find life obe by obeying the law, you must obey all of its commands. So Jesus steps in and says, I'm going to rescue you. He steps in and says this to the Father. He says it to every lawbreaker. He takes away all of our reasons for having to worry about the law. He takes away all of our desire to evade the law. He takes away all of our need to cover up what we've done that's wrong. He says, you know, just acknowledge it. Just acknowledge that you're a lawbreaker, that you're not perfect, that you're not the best person who ever walked the earth. Acknowledge it because your Father loves you, and he's coming close to you to tell you that he wants you to live with him forever. So why would we remain in our sins? Why would we remain as unforgiven people and facing a penalty for death of death when Jesus has graciously, lovingly set us free from that condition? So why did God give us the law if it couldn't save us? It was Galatians 3.19 asked that question. Well then, why was the law given? It was given to show people how guilty they are. We we're surprised to find ourselves in this kind of peril, and we want to deny it. Like, all of us would like to walk out of here today and just forget this story. You know, the story of the law and righteousness and sin and the death penalty. But that's a very perilous position to be in. In April, I was working in our garden, and I just had a little fall, and I broke my shoulder. 
And so that was annoying and painful and difficult. And I was told I have a year and a half of rehab, which I'm still doing. But the interesting thing was that because I broke my shoulder, my doctor sent me to get a bone density scan. I'm like, why did you break your shoulder so easily? Well, the bone density scan revealed that I have osteoporosis. So I knew I was going to recover from the shoulder, but osteoporosis is a very different condition. And it was really important for me to find out I had that because I had more broken bones ahead of me if we didn't treat that. So as much as I would have said, look, just fix my shoulder and I'm out of here, the, the doctor said, no, we got to find out what the underlying condition is. And that's the same thing for us. That's what the law does for us. The law is an x-ray of the soul. It says, how are you doing? What's going on inside of you? How are you doing with this? Relationships, money, you know, all these different things that we face every day. The law is like an x-ray. It's like a bone density scan that says, oh, you've got some weaknesses here. And when we discover that, then we can go back to Jesus, who says, you said you would teach me how to live. You would rescue me from this. And then he does that for us. So the law is actually God's gracious way of telling us we're in big trouble. And Jesus is God's gracious way of rescuing us from that big trouble. So my last question for you is, now that you know, what will you do? Now that you know all of this. Um, the good news is, better news even than knowing that there is a way to um, be saved from our sins, is to know that we get to choose for ourselves. No one is going to stand at the door and say, did you decide, did you decide, did you decide today? You get to choose for yourself. And the Lord knows every reason you have for not. He knows every impulse we have to delay. And, uh, and he's going to meet us right there and, and talk with us about that. Um, so in the Bible, God asks some people uh, some questions sometimes. And uh, one of those was when Adam and Eve fell. God went looking for them and said, where are you? Did God need to ask that question? He knew where they were, but he wanted them to know he was searching for them. Another time, uh, God told Sarah she was going to have a baby after waiting 90 years. She was going to have a baby, and she laughed at him. She laughed at God and said, oh, yeah, well, you could have done it before now, but you know, now you're going to do this? And so God said, why did you laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. And he says, oh, but you did. You know, God loves uh, to talk to us, ask us questions, and help us examine our own hearts. So when we uh, know something like we are finding out this morning and we become accountable to it, he comes near to us and he says, so what do you think? Do you agree or do you disagree with what you've heard here this morning? Um, And Jesus says to us, I have one more thing to say to you on top of what has been said in the law and on top of what I'm doing for you on the cross. I want you to understand some things about me. First of all, in John 14, 6, one of the last things Jesus said to everybody before he went to the cross was he looked at his disciples who knew him better than anybody else on earth, and he said to them, I just want you to know, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are strong words. Before that, in John, earlier in John, he, he, in John 3, 16 to 18, he said to Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can you imagine Jesus saying that, leaning in to Nicodemus and saying, Nicodemus, God loves the world so much. He's giving me his only son so that you don't have to perish. Nobody has to perish. This was an intimate moment. It wasn't him standing up in front of an auditorium and proclaiming. He was being intimate with Nicodemus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in the name of God's one and only son is is condemned already because they have not believed. So if you were in a face-to-face encounter with Jesus and he said these things to you, it would be a very moving experience, I think. Okay, I just want to share with you one couple more things that God says to sinners who are far from him and who are thinking of coming back. When we find ourselves from God, here's something that he says to us, and this is from Isaiah 41, verses 9 and 10. I have called you back from the ends of the earth so you can serve me, for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. When you walk out this door into the streets of San Francisco, there's almost nobody out there who's going to endorse what you've heard here this morning. Don't look to your culture or your peers or your workplace or any other thing out there to endorse what you've heard because it is only in Jesus that we find these truths. And it's only in a relationship with God the Father that we get called back from where we are. And we encounter help and strength and we are able to live the life. Okay, I think we've talked enough about that this morning. Bad news, there is a law. Worse news, we're all lawbreakers. (laughs) Good news, Jesus has provided a way of escape from the penalty for breaking the law, and the best news is we get to choose. So I encourage you this morning to think long and hard about this and to choose every day to walk with Jesus. Let me just close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are so kind to us. You are so loving. Um, It's just unbelievable to think that you descended from heaven to live in this world with all of its messes and to encounter people in every kind of condition and to walk steadily to the cross and pay the penalty for the sins of all of us. We give you thanks for that, Lord, and uh, we welcome you to our communion table, Lord, as we get ready to celebrate you, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.